to the official podcast of the Canberra Raiders. Habili off the Caesar. Now he puts a kick out. Croak is there again. Oh, Jared Croker! What a catch by the skipper! Come join us as we go Behind the Limelight. Welcome to Behind the Limelight. I'm Raider Nick and joined by our usual panellist. Well, not our usual panellist. Benny Pollock's here, but uh, Tommy Logan's up with the club. Didn't travel back and he's there in New Zealand, tucked into camp. And we've got Johnny Croyder coming out, debuting in the top grade after an outstanding local podcast that he puts together. Six o'clock Wednesday nights. Give it a plug. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, it should be a good one this week. Catching up with uh, Scott Logan. So former, Logan. Yeah, former Raider player. Former there, Meninga so. medalist. Mm, yes. Looks like I can still play. Yeah, and he's doing well with coaching too, so it's all good to have him on the show. Still local as well, Jens. Plenty to get through. We're going to catch up with BJ Lalua, Benny. Uh, he makes his debut on this podcast, but plenty of uh, stuff to ask him about his recovery road back to playing football. Hopefully it's not too far away. I'm going to catch up with Billy Harrigan, the referee on game day at the 89 Grand Finals. We go back in time to 89. Yeah, really looking forward to um, catching up with Joey, obviously. Um, he's had quite the tumultuous season. He was in probably career-best form before that mm. uh, neck injury sidelined him for three months. And uh, he's been recently given the all-clear to come back uh, and train with the group with a view to hopefully playing some footy again this year. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing how he's travelling along. Gents, big win on Sunday. Canberra 30, Penrith 18. I think it was the best performance of the season. Withstanding all that pressure in the in the opening stanza against the club coming off seven wins on the trot, sell out crowd. What a brave, courageous, fantastic performance that was. It was a wonderful effort. Uh, and I think it was summed up in that first 15 minutes where uh, I think Penrith had 96% mm. of possession. The Raiders had, had one set where they dropped the footy. Um, so, you know, for them to be able to, to hold them out for the majority of that time, they did concede the one try to Brian To'o in the corner. But um, that next, I think it was five or six back-to-back sets for the Panthers, they couldn't crack us. Uh, that green wall uh, kept presenting itself. And then off the back of a penalty, um, we were able to go down the other end and, and put some points on. And I think that really set the tone for the rest of the afternoon. That was so pleasing, Johnny, the fact that we withheld all that pressure, all that defence, repeat set after repeat set, but then to get down there and just be on task and then score points ourselves and to take the lead into half time, it was a fabulous 40 minutes. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was almost a little bit weird because normally we, we're used to having a flying start and you know grabbing an early lead and then grinding it out from there. It was kind of... In, re- in reverse, and coming up against a team that was just in red-hot form as well. So really good performance, and I think Rick summed it up really well in his uh, press conference after the game where he was just saying that that was a really good good win and a good game that we needed. It's just changing up the, the formula of the win, showing we can win different types of footy matches. Well, it was a bit of a cocktail now of, of everything. We had defence in there and great attack, and we had Aiden Caesar on here last week talking about his head's a lot more clearer now. Those creative kicks, those banana kicks that led to, led to points. So that just goes to show that his head's a bit more empty and he can pull out those tricks, those trick shots. Well, when you're playing with confidence, those sort of things tend to come off. Uh, you know, when you, mm. when you play a little bit down, those balls go dead in goal. They roll into touch. They go over the, uh, they're over the guy's head. Um, but when you're playing in form and you're playing with some confidence, they stick. And that's yeah. what's happening with him at the moment. And I think it comes off the back um, of the form of Josh Hodgson. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt in, in my mind that he's back up there to his best footy. The, the last month that he's played, it's, it's been exceptional. And uh, that game from him on the weekend was first class. And it, it allows guys like Aiden Caesar to play with that freedom. Uh, and he's got Jack Whiten on the left who can just concentrate on doing whatever he needs to do, uh, whether it be run the ball, you know, find a man, get the kick into the corner – 
Um, just having Hodjo conducting it all really yeah. seems to be a, a pivotal part of our game plan. And I, I just love watching him play because, um, you know, there's always something going on. Like a Cameron Smith, yeah. uh, like a Robbie Farrar, when he's got the ball around that ruck, um, defences just don't know where he's going to go. Well, having said that, Tommy, is getting that aura about him where he can really slow the play down and, and have that – the game can go in slow motion and, and defenders can start to ball watch and start to be – you know, start to be anxious about what is he going to do, what is he going to do, and he can really slow the play down and have options, like what Cam Smith and, and Robbie Farrer in the early thousands could do, just to come to the line and be creative as an extra half, can put in a 40-20, but also can, can steal the ball. How good is he with the one-on-one strips, especially Johnny Bateman, the bombies, mate? I wouldn't want to leave my wallet hanging around with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, giving Tommy the shout out there too. Um, <laughs> What's that? Gave Tommy the shout out there too. You called him Tommy. You, you're missing him, do you? Right. you Sorry, mate. Him. Sorry, it's just instinct. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny, Tommy, Johnny. Um, but yeah, like Hodjo setting, setting up that try for, for Papali, like that that was a massive play. Just a sim- simple stuff around the ruck, but if defences know what you're going to do, if you've only got one or two options, like those sort of opportunities aren't created. And um, That's what he does. He just makes a simple link, simple things. The hard things look so simple. And that's what Cam Smith is, can do. Sorry, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the one-on-one strip, though, I mean, it's become a, a big talking point in the game this week. You know, obviously, the, the Warriors-Eels um, game, there was a few yeah. controversial calls around it and, you know, referees, you know, having that split second to, to make a decision on whether those other defenders had dropped off before the strip had occurred. But Josh Hodgson's made a real art form of it. Mm. He leads the, the competition. I think he's got a dozen of them now. He had two in the weekend. One didn't come off... Um, because it, it, he knocked the ball on. But the other one uh, was just textbook. And then Bateman, of course, um, wow. pulled off probably the biggest one of the game. Huge play. You know, Penrith had just scored at the other end through James Tarmel. They were getting a bit of momentum. Um, and the Raiders were only eight points in front. They kick it off. Campbell Gillard charges the ball back into the line. Crowd's absolutely buzzing. Next mm. thing, Bateman takes the ball off him to suck the air completely out that. of the joint. <laughs> it, was, um, it was like uh, it was, everything just went silent. Um, and then the Raiders went on with the game. So that's a massive play. Well, it adds to the win on it. Because the win had everything. And, and just defensively, that's the style of football we need to play. And one thing, they talk about having to fire at the right end of the season. You want to re- really be firing hard in our role, getting momentum into the finals. And teams are starting to do that. And I think that win showed that we were. We probably weren't at our best in the last fortnight. But the positive is we've still got the two points and we're still winning by 13 plus, whereas teams like the Roosters and stuff were losing those top teams. We, we're still winning. We're really shaping ourselves up to play a finals the, 40. But last week, the bounce out of, the bounce into the next few weeks on the back of last week's performance, the boys will get so much confidence into the Warriors game. Yeah, and I think the, the, the pressure's still on to, to keep performing because you've got Manly and they've got that one-point win over the Storm mm. in Melbourne last weekend, just two points behind us. So um, if, you, if we want to finish in the top four, we have to keep winning because Manly's one of those teams that are finishing their season really strong uh, and they seem, to be the, they seem to be the most dangerous team uh, in terms of pushing us out of a top four spot. So we've, we play them in three weeks' time. Um, we need to keep winning. We've got a tough month coming up, starting with the Warriors this weekend. So um, for us to keep winning is, is hugely important if we want to finish with that home semi and a top four finish. And you can't really look past the Warriors. I know there's big games with the, like the Roosters, the Storm, Manly coming up, but Warriors, they've got their season on the line. We played them twice yeah. uh, in our last six games. So this is going to be a massive game in front of their crowd as well. Without being too critical, the Warriors have been rugby league's box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But if they show up and click, you know, Tui Vasta Shek at the back there, they've got footballers in that team. They've got they a back three. They can be a massive nuisance to anyone. They've got a huge uh, back three, and our kicking game is going to be so important this weekend. They'll um, be burning after last week. They will. Week we too. have to we have to kick it into into space because you've got Kemba Marlowe, 
David Fusatua and Roger Tuavasa Shek mm. bringing the ball back. Huge back so it's, three. it's massive for us. And look, to be honest, um, you know the the Warriors got some rough calls against the Eels uh, last weekend. So um, there's been a lot of press, and I think their CEO came out and encouraged people to come to the game dressed in, as referees with whistles and Uh-oh. all this sort of stuff going on. So look, that that. We're an away team playing in New Zealand. We might not get all the, the calls, so we have to be really disciplined with our footy yeah. uh, and just keep doing what we've been doing over the last few weeks, and that is completing sets, making our tackles, um, and taking our uh, opportunities when we get them. Let's do this. Righto. Uh, of course, Tommy's not here, but last week I think you you had... I had Hodgson for a 40-20. Went close in the second half, but... Um, I should have picked him for a one-on-one strip. That's almost a given. That would be too easy. Um, but he didn't. He didn't get the forty-twenty. Tommy had uh, Nicol Cox yes. to score success, and he, he managed to get one there. Brett Naden tried to shovel the ball over the dead ball line, but uh, Chance was smart enough to follow through. That's looking try too, by and, the way. Yeah, and uh, and and get some downward pressure on it, which Naden didn't do. So we got this week for us. Benny wants a bold prediction on the one on one. I'm going to go. Um, I, I really like the way that Elliot Whitehead played his footy last weekend. I thought it was probably his best game of the season. Um, and he's, you know, his English Bradford mate's been getting a lot of raps this year, but Elliot is consistently one of our best players every week, and uh, what he does um, off the ball in terms of mopping up um, defensively and things like that's great. I think he's going to back it up from last week, and he's going to get another try this week against the Warriors. Johnny Croyder, what do you got for us, mate? I'm going for a Hodjo trifecta. I reckon um, 100th game, I think he's in for a big one. I think he's going to score his first try of the season, get a try assist, and a one-on-one strip. Oh, it's a big one. It's a big multi there from Johnny Quarter for me. I <laughs> Paying think, big dollars, though. Yeah. <laughs> Raps are starting to really come into his own now, getting in those big, strong carries out of danger and then scoring those Superman tries. In his homeland, he'll probably have some family down watching, I think. Rapid to score two tries and a nice, good, comfortable win for the Mighty Green Machine. And for the first time on the Behind the Long Light podcast... Joey Lalua, brother BJ, how are you, mate? Good, thanks yourself, mate. I'm really good. It's yeah. good to see you, like uh, fit as a fiddle again, training as well. But without uh, pushing any buttons, it's a few months ago, pre- prepping for a, a match against the Penrith Panthers in Wagga, and you pull out late in the morning. What went down? Did you feel a bit of a tingle around the shoulders area, or? Uh, so I'd explain. Um, I don't know. I just woke up, sore neck, so I couldn't feel my neck, and then um, couldn't sleep all night. I woke up at three in the morning, and I remember. My roomie barely, he was trying to sleep and I was just in all pain. And then um, I stayed awake from 3 o'clock till 9 o'clock until I saw the doc that morning. And then I'm pretty sure he said that there's something wrong with your neck. And then he didn't believe me at first. He thought it was just a back spasm. And I said, nah, trust me, I can't feel it on me my neck. And then got to the game and then he brought me out then. I saw you in the morning. You were coming back to your room after you'd been down. I did. I just thought you were coming back from breakfast and yeah. said good day. And you were obviously in a bit of distress. You must have been. Your head must have just been all over the place with terms of just trying to work Especially out what was going slept. on. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Well, I was trying to hold tough face. You know that, Benny. Yeah, that's it. You always yeah, play so, tough. You know. Um, but um, yeah, no. Just um, when I got told by the doctor that I was no good, and I was pretty yeah. happy. And then I think it was four days later, we got the scan, and they realised there was something really bad wrong with it. So. It must have been pretty, pretty devastating news for you. And not only as a footy player, but that's a pretty, pretty nasty injury. And, and obviously, you got the advice to go and have surgery, which you did, and um, you, you got through all that okay. And it must have been a relief off the backside of that to, to know that things were all good. Yeah, it was. Um, when I found out, it was actually something bad with it, and um, it was probably one, of, probably one of the second darkest days of my career. I just felt that um, it was tough, but um, I knew 
the sport I had with the family and obviously this club, I knew I was going to get through it. And then you know, probably the hardest part was just thinking of my kids. That was probably the hardest part, just thinking if I could um, play with them again. And that was the thing. And I just wanted to be pain-free. And then when I got the surgery done and I was happy with it, first thing I wanted to do was hold them. Joey, there was a good article from Neil Breen in the Telegraph Mirror a couple of Sundays after he had your surgery. And yep. the first paragraph, you were mentioning your kids and, and being – all the parents can relate to that. You know, Benny and I, we're parents as well. And yep. the rugby league bubble that we live in, especially as players – Yeah. Obviously, when when you when any inj- injury comes, you kind of get out of that bubble, don't you? And you start thinking about the human element. When did you start thinking about football again? Because something tells me that you probably weren't thinking about the game for a while. You were thinking about the kids, thinking about your recovery, not as a rugby league player, but as a human, as a person. When did you start feeling about football again? Well, it took me about I think it was three weeks, three weeks after the surgery. Uh, kind of um, that three week period, all I thought was just hang out the kids as much as I can, and then obviously. Got kind of sick of them. Need <laughs> <laughs> uh, to get back into the boys. Yeah, <laughs> then, then I just let, let out the yard for a while. That's it. And then <laughs> after that, I was like, oh, I'm over this. I can't be, be stuff staying at home, sitting in bed all day. And that's what I had to do. I had to stay in bed all day for about two weeks. Because you're up in Sydney, weren't you, with some yeah. family? I was with my mum and dad. Yeah. Stayed in Riverwood. So I just stayed with them. And then my kids went up to Brisbane because they needed to go away because the house was full. Obviously, with my sister's kids out in there. So um, they went there and I sat at my mum and dad's house, hang out with them for about three weeks. And then finally um, came back to Canberra, started my preparation to get back onto the field. Mate, I remember when you first came in after that, um, mate, I couldn't believe how good of spirits you were in. You're obviously excited to be back and you got straight back into your, your training and you were doing everything that um, you, you were told from day one. And obviously that's been the reward for you now, to be back in a position where you can... Uh, play again this year I mean that's probably been the goal for you from a footy perspective yeah it goes down to our um, medical staff obviously um, Horsey our rehab coach and special doc trying to get me back into it but it was just a mentality thing I just wanted to get back out there step at a time and then once I felt the all clear from the surgeon saying now I can I was clear to do this do that and then I just knew I was going to be back for this year did you have any conversations with players that did similar injuries? Like, these blokes like, you know, the Johns boys were quite known for it. Blokes like Brent Tate, quite familiar. Did you get in contact with anyone about that? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really. Um, I just wanted to, I was staying close for myself. Um, I just didn't want to, you know, open disturb. a can of worms. Yeah, I didn't want to disturb them as well. You know, as a footy player, you just want to concentrate on footy, and most of them were like, that's Jordan Turner, was it Jordan? Yeah, Jordan Turner. Yeah, um, it was. Um, Kyle Turner. Kyle Turner, yeah, they're for did, the Rabbitohs, yeah. Any, and he's going well. Mm. He's, been, he's been going well for them, so I didn't want to intrude. Is he injured? I think he's out at the moment, but he's, he's been back playing. He was in yeah. the centres there for the Rabbitohs for a yeah, bit. And, yeah, he's he, going well, so I didn't want to contact him and ask him all these questions because he's playing well and I didn't want to disturb him. He's in good form, so I just... Well, there's your proof right there. Yeah. You know, Senna can come back and... That's right, you've been playing alongside um, you know these guys for a few years now and, and obviously you've missed being a part of that sort of team culture, is that something that you're really looking forward to getting back into now that you've been given the clear to return to the full squad training? Yeah, there's a bit of banter when I come back, so it's always always light when I'm there, especially with Hodger and um, Caesar always on my back. <laughs> and, uh, it's good, it's good to be back with the boys. I, I missed it, I missed every um, session, just seeing them laugh. You know, I'm always in the gym watching them train. And I just want to be out there in the ball skills, that's probably my favourite part. 
what the fitness side do. How's your fitness going, by the way? You know, obviously, I've just you've just come out of the gym there from another big, yeah, sweating, big session. Sweet. So you know, <laughs> you, you're feeling pretty, you know, fit. Obviously, match fitness is one of those things. Will take a couple of weeks to to yeah. get back, but you're feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Um, the weight's back, finally. It's only taken three weeks, but um, yeah, it's good while the weight's back. Um, strength is back. That's what I'm happy about, and I'm just back in form right now. So. Just very excited, but the team's going so well. I just don't want to come in and wreck the um, the vibe they got. You know, I'm I'm here for the team. Whatever is best for the team, I'll do what's best for the team. So, well, just before you got injured, there you were having a great start of the season. I think it was a good game against the Broncos there, where you scored a try and laid on a couple other ones, and you started to really find some form. And it kind of happened at the wrong time. But how much now do you do you see the team doing so being so successful that you just want to kind of get back in there like like Rocky style and get back into the team and <laughs> and just be part of the success that we're starting to really build yeah, for well, the season. It's a credit to the boys that have um stepped up people that have been injured. Johnny Beckmore was out, I was out. OJ missed a few I, games. OJ missed, missed a few taps. Yeah. Raps. Raps as yeah. well. You know, and then young kids have stepped up and they've done the job for us and right now it's for I think Sticky's got a tough job ahead. Yeah he does. And he's got to he's got to pick the best best side. Um, I know which he will, but um, what's best for the team? I think that's what he's got to do. So, if I'm not in there and I'm um, there to support the team, I'm always there. Does that does that strike you as, as the mentality of this whole squad at the moment? That you know, there's obviously been a few changes, and there's guys that are knocking on the door that get an opportunity, play well, and then have to go back again. Do you, do you think that's a that's a thing that the team sort of worked on that mentality that it's all about the team first and the individual second? I think it started from that pre-season camp that we had um, with Woody, one of the staff members here. Now, um, yeah, he pretty much told us that you know if you want to be a successful team, it's going to be some tough times, and I think one of, that's one of them. You know, you're going to be cut, not cut. I mean, you're going to have to be dropped because another player is going to be in that position that's better off for the team. And, I, and he's whoever's doing that brilli- a brilliant job. And it's unfortunate here if he gets dropped. It's just the way it goes, and I think everyone knows that in this team. Everyone's willing to sacrifice for them. There's the position for a better better cause, which is winning that premiership. If I can ask BJ, they talk about when you take time out of the game, uh, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. How do you feel? with where do you, Where's the game lie in your heart now? The game of rugby league, the game that you show up to every day, the game that you play, three, you play for three clubs now. No, well, I still don't watch as much footy as a... What is that? I just don't know. I just probably get just caught up. Away. When I was a young kid, I was coming through at the Roosters. I was watching footy 24-7, every game. Every game on Fox, every game, every, every single thing. And then I kind of... I kind of Got all footied out. Yeah, I, got too <laughs> much, I thought too much when I was playing. And, and I kind of just... I didn't grow until I got to Newcastle kind of thing. And then I just stopped watching it slowly. And then, you know, I came here. And all I thought focused on was getting myself better. Mm. And if I got myself better, I knew my teammates would get better. And that's how we, I grew and then had a bang-out season in 16, was it? Yeah. 2016. And then, yeah, and then I just stopped kind of watching footy. And then, but right now, I always watch my reviews. Hours of vision. Yeah, hours of vision. So I always watch the team that I'm about to verse, the opponent I'm about to be up against, and... Also, the team that we just first. So I remember that time in 2016. We were doing a, a production here for Huawei, and we were interviewing the boys. And you were in the in the revision room, like I think you were playing. We were playing the Sharks that week or the Storm, yep. and you were in there doing tape on the opposition. And 
yeah. been quite dedicated. And then we went out to the Premier Place and had a sing along. Did really, really well. Yeah. But the game where it sits in your where it lies in your heart now because you grow and change as a person, you mature as a family man, as a father. Where does rugby league sit now? Like, where does the passion lie now? Yeah, well, I'm still passionate about footy. Um, it's but for me, it's family first and footy second. And I've always loved footy, and uh, that's been my part of my life since I was since I started playing. Mm. It's my first job, and I never knew it was a job until kind of got older. And then you know, you got to perform, and it's always seats up there. And the up green there. jumper, the green jumper. Trust me, every time I hear that. Viking horn, just I'll get chills. And I was when I was in the stands in there. I think it was against the Cowboys. Reversed. I didn't get to play. I was up on the top of the stands and I heard that go off. It just got chills. And I just see the crowd. It was crazy because I was in the crowd. And good. It's pretty exciting, though, mate, isn't it? From there's a real air of optimism amongst the squad. And you know, without getting too far ahead of it, um, there'd be nothing better than you guys having the opportunity to play some final footy here at home. You know, and in those big games again. Yeah, so hopefully, um, I think we're two points behind um, South Sydney. So I do watch footy, um, <laughs> and oh, well, I guess we got um, got the Roosters. Soon, we should hopefully we need to get a win against Warriors because we've got two tough games. We got the Roosters next up, and then the Melbourne Storms. And if we can get those two or those three games, I'm pretty sure we'll be in the top two. And it'd be good to have another um, home semi final because I remember that. 16 years we got the Sharks and we, unfortunately we lost. And uh, the vibe we had that whole week was crazy. Just just on that, they always talk about, look, in 2017, 2018, you guys didn't get to the finals and there's this burning to play in that finals football. Is that burn still there? And what is finals football like compared to, obviously it's more intense for the 80 minutes. Every play is contested. It's full on. What's the experience like when you're playing in, such, in those big games, the Channel 9 cameras, packed crowds, especially at home? What, what's that buzz like for you? Well, it's, it starts with them probably when you warm up, all that buzz. And then, to be honest, when you get out there and you start running on the field, and then that once that whistle's blown and that kickoff, it's just another game. And that's how you've got to mentally prepare yourself. You've just got to think it's just another game. Complete your sets, get through the first couple sets, and then instinctively your body just comes and gets used to the normal game. Mm. All right. We're looking forward to seeing you back out in the field. We really appreciate you coming in and having a chat to us, mate. I know it's been a tough road, but uh, there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, hopefully we'll see you on the field shortly. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, BJ. Celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Green Machine's epic 1989 Grand Final victory. Yes, g'day, Raider Nick here for Back in Time to 89 segment. Now, we've had players from the from the game on this podcast, we've had the commentator, we've had coaches and coaching staff. This week, we grab the referee. Billy Harrigan, who refereed his first ever Grand Final, was the 89 Grand Final, and part of the wave of what was to come post-89 with obviously what the plays went through in their rock stardom, but Billy Harrigan became Hollywood too after that game. As we go back in time to 89, Billy Harrigan. G'day, Nick. Billy, uh, 1989 grand final being touted as the greatest grand final of all time. Do you look back in uh, history now, 30s on, thinking that was probably, to you, is that the best grand final you probably refereed? Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's special to me too because it was the first grand final that I'd ever refereed in any grade. Mm. Um, so I didn't didn't come through third grade or reserve grade. Um, just knocked Mick Stone off. He did three in a row. Uh, was the odds on to get the four in a row, and 
I knocked him off, mate. So it was my first grand final, and it turns out, you know, a lot of people rate it as the best rugby league game in the modern era. So very proud of it. Now, I knew I was in the running because it got down between Mick Stone and myself into the semi-finals the two weeks before it. Mm. But I always thought, you know, Mick, with the experience, um, I hadn't had any grand finals at any level. So I thought I was an outside chance. That was it. Then I got the call from Dennis Braybrook during the week and just said, mate, congratulations. You've been appointed to the grand final. I nearly fell over. You know, you talk about a player, you talk about a back rower that goes to bed one night thinking, okay, I want to make 20 tackles. And he starts to envision the kind of tackles that he makes. You might get a... You know, a winger scoring three tries from a chip and chase or you get maybe a goal kicker knowing he's going to get a few from the sideline and you start to kind of ingrain a bit of a projection on how the game's going to go and what you need to do to control as well. How is that like for a referee? How is it like for you leading into 89, especially being your first on such a big stage at the SFS there, 40,000 people? I must admit it was difficult because I was so excited about it, but also on the other hand, very, very nervous. Mm. Um, and then just tried to stick to the old... The old adage where you just say, look, I've got to treat this as another game and um, and do the same sort of preparation, knowing it's not another game. This is the grand final. This is the pinnacle. Mm. I think one of the things for me is when you're appointed to a grand final, you've actually, as a referee, you've won your grand final because you've been appointed to the big game. So you've beat the opposition already. Yeah. But the, the thing for the referee then is, okay, I've got the game. I've won my grand final, but I have to finish it because if I don't, um, all that glory and getting that grand final and winning it could all come down in a screaming heap if you have a shocker and all of a sudden you're um, you're targeted as a referee that ruined the grand final or you didn't referee it well or something like that. So when you get the grand final and you're a status, and that's usually on the Tuesday you're informed, but then on, by the Wednesday after that one night of celebration, you've got to knuckle down and make sure that, okay, I want to finish this game so it's the best it, it's the best it can be, it's the best that I can be, and then when I walk away from that game, everybody's talking about the game and not me. And then that's the that's the uh, You've done your job. The icing on the cake. Yep. You've done your job. Now, can you remember much of the game? Obviously, it was a really warm uh, late spring, nineteen eighty nine, on a Sunday. Very warm, very fast game. Yeah, I knew if I opened it up and let the let the game run to start with. And when I say open it up, that means you just go back further than what you normally would, and then you can start to see how the pace of the game's going and then you can start to bring it back a little bit on the defensive line. Balmain were the favourites mm. and they certainly came out strong and they were um, they had momentum and they were all over Canberra but um, then coming back in that second half, all of a sudden Canberra got the momentum and once it swings it's very hard to stop. Yeah. And so a few things started to go their way and a couple of the things that Balmain did it also went Canterbury's way. For instance, the snap field goal by Benny Elias hitting the crossbar. Mm. You know, that's another inch higher. It goes over. They win that game. Um, that desperation ankle tap by Mal Meninga on Mick Neal. Yeah. Um, brings him down just short. Poor old Wayne Pierce probably has the worst game of his career. Um, just couldn't put it together that day. And if he plays the best game of his career, they probably win. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Gary Jack dropping the bomb right there on full time, which gave the ball back to Canberra. They threw it out to Chicker and he goes in and scores the try. Meninga kicks the goal, puts it into extra time. So... A few things just went their way, but once momentum starts, it's hard to stop. Also, too, there was a wonderful call you made uh, midway through the first half that involved Bruce Maguire, that penalty with Steve Baltus, and, and to this day you still get you still either get praise for that from a Raiders end or from a Tigers end, you get slammed for it. But that was the right decision, and obviously you went for, with your instinct on the day and, and uh, the rest is history, yeah? Yeah, there wasn't any thinking about it. It was just an instant, instantaneous thing. Um, mm. 
you know, Walters was, I think, coming back on side. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was Walters was coming back on side. Yeah. And then you've got Bruce McGuire picks the ball up, runs straight at him, which you see a lot these days, and it always irks me when I see it. They play a coming back on side, doesn't want any part of the play, and yet you get a dummy half or a first receiver goes running up and pushes him in the back and uh, tries to engage him in the tackle to get the penalty and milk the penalty. But on this occasion, when the defensive line come towards Maguire, he actually holds hold of the jersey and moves them into the way of the defensive line and then takes off. Used him as a weapon. Thought, no. And he used him as an obstruction. And I was just like, no, you can't do that. And before I knew it, I'm blowing the penalty. Well, I didn't really cop anything from Dennis Braybrook or the refereeing fraternity or anything like that. And it was only the Tigers did. And I think towards the end of it, the, they're obviously looking for something, that, looking for someone to blame. They've just been beating the grand final that they were favourites to win. Mm. And they've said that that one turned the momentum back to Canberra and cost them the game. Well, all right, there was a lot of things in there that turned momentum, a lot of things that cost them the game. But Are you kind of great to be part of that culture for what's – obviously really big and rich in the Raiders in the Raiders world, but also in the NRL world of being touted as the best grand final of all time? Yeah, I do. I feel very privileged, Nick. Very privileged to have been part of it and in some way contributed to it being that game. Also, in some way, um, when I look back and think what I was a part of refereeing with that great Canberra side, later on, a few years later on, you go in, you have a look at the great Brisbane sides, um, just to have the opportunity to be out there and, and participate referee and be on the field with some of those great players and you look back and they are rock stars of the NRL mm. or, the, or the game of rugby league worldwide, uh, it's, it's just a straight-out privilege. Yeah, it's very humbling, very humbling. Bill, there's one question I ask the Raiders players of that day. I've asked every single one of them on this podcast and I've asked, is there something that you take out of that game on a metaphoric level considering that it was such an experience and, and the, the turns of the scores and everything about it and almost like a – Disney story for the Raiders. Is there something you take out of that game and apply to your life today or in your career? I think probably for me was um, being appointed to that game. So uh, when I didn't think I had any chance, you know, leading on in that year up against Mick Stone with all the experience and everything. So I think what I took out of that game was not only just being a great game and, you know, fantastic to be a part of it, was that you, um, you never give up. Anything can happen. And I think, you know, from Canberra, that's the same with them. Never give up. Anything can happen. They found themselves an extra time and end up winning the game. And they were probably shaking their head too, saying, well, how did we just do that? So it's never give up. Anything can happen. Well, Bill Harrigan, always great to talk to you, mate. Thanks for joining us as we go back in time to 89. Thanks, Nick. Been a pleasure.